0: That's how many the pastor counted. You see, in his office, he kept a framed picture of every confirmation class that he had had at that church since starting there over a decade earlier. The smiling faces of all those eighth graders in their confirmation gowns and the rows and columns on his wall. But that number, 26, was not actually representative of the the total number of confirmation students he'd had over the years. That was actually the number of those he had confirmed who no longer called themselves Christians. 26 students who had sat with him in class learning all of those core teachings of the Bible, memorizing everything. 26 students who had gotten up in front of a congregation of people just like this, and spoke, spoke those vows before God and before their fellow members that they would remain faithful until the day that they died. Twenty-six students who had broken that promise, who had slapped away the outstretched arms of Jesus and walked away from him. Now, I'm not telling you this story today to, to scare you. I'm not sharing this with you because there are a couple of you whose faith I'm still not quite sure about, and I want to put the fear of God on you one last time while I still have you. That's not why I'm sharing this story with you. I'm sharing this story, though, because I want you to take very, very seriously these words of 1 Peter that we are going to read in just a moment. So open your ears, open your hearts, and listen. As Christ's Apostle says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, To suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And I especially here at first want to to focus on those words that we see in verse 15, where Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And you've been doing a lot of that, right? A lot of the preparing. Over the past year with me, you've put in a few dozen hours down in that fellowship hall basement with me. And you've put in even more hours getting ready for those classroom hours. You've learned the the commandments. You've memorized the Bible passages. You've learned prayers and creeds and things like that. And that doesn't even take into consideration the ways that you have been preparing prior to or apart from our confirmation class together. And as a result, you know more than the average person does about who God is, what he has done to save you and what his will is for your lives. You're prepared, right? But take notice of what Peter says here. Right? He doesn't say make sure you're prepared for your confirmation day. Doesn't say make sure you're prepared to give an answer once or twice. What does he say? Always. Always be prepared. Yes, I do believe that you are prepared for today. Yes, I believe that the Holy Spirit has worked through His Word to make you ready to stand up here and make your confirmation (laughs) vows. And yet we never want to treat a day like confirmation or any day of our lives like, like we finally made it. We've learned what we need to know about God's Word and so the learning can stop. We can graduate apart from all of this and move on to bigger and better things. No, this is... Meant to be, there is a need for this to be an ongoing, lifelong preparation. And do you know why? Why it is that Peter tells us to always be prepared? It's because he knows that there's somebody else who is always prepared the greatest enemy that you could ever fear to have, your number one nemesis and the number one nemesis of all humankind, Satan, he's prepared too. In fact, he's, he's always prepared, not to give you a reason for the hope that you have, but to give you every reason to abandon the hope that you have. For Josh, a young man That was confirmed right next to me. Satan used his father's premature death to sow the seeds of doubt in his mind concerning God's love and goodness until he ultimately came to hate God, if as he would say there even was a God. For Carrie, the young lady who stood on the other side of me, he twisted her heart concerning God's desires for sexual expression and relationship until she fell in love with the sin over her savior. For Caden, it was friends and peer pressure that he used to lure him away from worship and eventually away from his best and truest friend. For Sandy, it was higher education, those college professors at her university that stood in front of her and cared nothing for God whatsoever until She too succumbed to the hubris of human wisdom which says that it is cleverer and more evolved than all that God stuff. And for Carly, it was plain old laziness, slowly eroding away her time in the Word and in worship and in favor of what? Sleeping in and binging her favorite streaming series. For Nick, it was a girlfriend. A girlfriend who constantly told him how idiotic it was to even believe in the concept of God and who ultimately made him decide between giving his heart to her or to his Lord and James well James made it a little bit further down the road until his early adulthood years until he finally bit the hook that Satan threw his way the one that so many bite which says that the kids sports schedule is more important than the worship and Bible schedule Until not only he, but his entire family stepped away from their relationship with God. Satan is always, always prepared. He's been at this a long time. And he is, frankly, quite good at what he does. He is constantly on the lookout to attack from any angle that he can find. In fact, in one of the Bible passages that we read in last week's services, Peter characterizes him like this, saying, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is a predator with an insatiable appetite, and there is only one prey that he pursues, and it's people. He is constantly observing constantly learning and constantly making the most of every opportunity he has to pounce and destroy. And so first and foremost, if you are going to be prepared to give an answer to everybody, you need to be prepared to give an answer to him because he is constantly working to undermine your faith and to bring you to ruin. To destroy that hope that you have and this kind of naturally leads us into a couple of follow-up questions first but well, what is this hope and second how do you prepare let's tackle the first one what is this hope that peter writes about in this verse what is this hope that, that we have and hold on to it's a whole lot different than worldly ideas of hope or even the way that the world uses that word, almost like it's, it's wishful thinking, a desire for one possible outcome over all the other outcomes that could happen. Like, I hope that she notices my new haircut. I hope that the diagnosis isn't as, as bad as I'm worried it might be. I hope I get that new pair of shoes for my birthday. I hope it's not raining next weekend when I'm supposed to be fishing. Peter gives us a hope that is so much bigger and so much more beautiful than that worldly wishful thinking. You see, when scripture uses that word hope, it speaks of it as a certainty. The certainty of a future event founded upon the certainty of a past event. And that past event is the one that Peter referred to in these verses. The death and the resurrection of Jesus, that, as he speaks in verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, that he took every single one of your sins, every one of your failures, that whole mountain of guilt, every time that you have listened to the voice of Satan whispering in your ear and every time that you will listen to him, he took all of it upon himself on his cross. And there, what did he do? There he suffered your infinite punishment. He suffered your hell, so that you will never ever have to know what that is like. But Then also, that he didn't stay dead. That Jesus did exactly as he promised he would do by rising to life again, as Peter mentions here at the end of verse 21. And it was a victory over sin and Satan and ultimately over death that the Apostle Peter writing these words got to see with his very own two eyes of flesh, he was an eyewitness to all of this. In fact, he was so certain of what he had seen that he was even willing to die for it because he knew based on the certainty of Jesus' death and resurrection that there was also a future certainty in store for him and not just for him, but for you and for me. The resurrection that we will have someday, body and soul, to eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth that God has in store for his people. That's the hope. That is the promise that Peter is writing about here. And it is a promise that is better by far than anything that Satan or the people of this world or even your own hearts can ever make or give to you. And it is a hope that we have only through the blood and in the name of our crucified and risen Jesus, you're not gonna find that hope anywhere else. But what about that second question? How do you prepare? How do you always keep on preparing so that you are holding on to this hope not just today but but for your entire lives? Now, honestly, this is a question that we could spend the rest of the day trying to answer. Because there are so many things that God shares with us, so many blessings that He gives us in order to assist us and and even carry us along in this preparation. But I think that we can kind of boil it down and summarize it into one simple sentence. And it's the one that we led off these verses with, where Peter says, In your hearts, Revere Christ as Lord. In other words, to uphold Him, to uphold Jesus as the number one authority and power over your entire lives. To revere Jesus as the Lord whose word is the unconquerable truth to combat all of those lies which the world and even our own hearts will whisper in our ears. To revere Jesus as the Lord who gives us his own body to eat and his own blood to drink in the Lord's Supper and promises that through this he fills up all that emptiness left by sin and guilt with forgiveness and assurance. To revere Christ as the Lord whose commands are always beautiful and are always good for you, even when your friends or your own families try to convince you that some of them at least are not. To revere Christ as the Lord whose infinite ears are always open and listening to the outpouring of your hearts when you come to him in prayer. To revere Christ as the Lord whose perfect power and perfect wisdom are always mixed full strength with the same perfect love that sent him to die on a cross for you. And you know what happens when you're prepared like this? When you revere Christ like that, you'll start to look a lot less like this and a lot more like this. (laughs) Give me a minute to explain myself, okay? (laughs) Now, for those of you who don't know, and I imagine that's quite a few of you, that tattooed grizzly bear of a man, and I know I'm going to butcher his name, uh, his name is Hafthor Bjornsson. And at least for a time, he held the title of strongest man in the world. That little guy sitting on his lap then, that's his son, Stormor. People have way cooler names than we do, I think. (laughs) Anyway, a little baby, all on its own. Pretty helpless, right? They can't do anything to defend themselves from even the the meagrest of predators, lion, bear an ill-intentioned, evil person, even a hungry dog. But when he's sitting on the lap and in the arms of the strongest man in the world, it doesn't matter how weak or helpless he is, because he is kept close to the one who is way, way stronger, and who, to boot, loves that little guy more than life itself. Do you know what happens when you are always prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have? You have the one who's way stronger. It's not because all the Bible reading and all the partaking of the Lord's Supper and all the commandment keeping and all the praying and all the worshiping makes you so powerful and, and mighty and strong to conquer all of your spiritual enemies because of who you are kept close to when you do, the one who is infinitely more powerful even than Mr. Bjornsson here, your almighty savior who is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers all in submission to him. And who, even more than that, loves you with a self-sacrificing love that is as boundless as the star-filled sky. Now, I don't know if I'm ever going to have a picture of you hanging up on my wall in my office. Time will tell. Probably depends if somebody gives me one. But that's okay, because I trust that I will be seeing you either way, because I'm going to be seeing you where it matters, right here in worship, gathered around your brothers and sisters, gathered around God's Word as as you study the Bible together in Sunday morning Bible study or, or in youth group or in small groups, raising up your hearts and your voices to God in prayer and praising Him with your lives. As you revere Christ as your Lord, you will always be ready to give an answer because you will always be holding on to that certain hope that you have in Jesus. Amen.